welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. In every episode of this podcast, I chat to established leaders and exciting new voices exploring our ever-evolving field of content strategy. We cover all the topics that inform how we shape digital content, from user experience design to customer experience, accessibility to content design, and everything in between. Hello there, friends and neighbors. Welcome once again to the Content Strategy Podcast with me, Christina. I hope that you're all hanging in there and finding moments of joy and respite, or at least distraction during this time. Things are chaos in my world, personally. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, I got a lot of family stuff going on with an active COVID case in my house, my poor kid. I've got elders that I'm concerned about. I've got neighbors that are trying to figure stuff out. School, who knows about school? Is it going to close? Nobody knows. Just know that I am there with you. And the reason that I'm continuing this podcast, because this is a moment where I get to refuel and re-engage and think about one of my very, very favorite topics on the planet, which is (gasps) content strategy. That's right. Today, I have one of the most lovely human beings that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing, frankly, ever. And her name is Tori Podmajerski. And Tori is a UX writer at Google. <clears throat> Some might say the UX writer, but we'll get to that. Uh, Tori helps see teams solve business and customer problems using UX content. She's written inclusive and accessible consumer and professional experiences for Xbox, Microsoft account, Windows apps, privacy, Microsoft education, and offer up, and now works at Google. Her book, her little book, Strategic Writing for UX, not a big deal, was published by O'Reilly Media in 2019. Tori, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Christina, thank you so much for having me here. This is something that Christina didn't say, is that we have rescheduled this three or more times. And um, every time it's just given me more opportunities to spend time with Christina as we say, oh God, we can't meet today. What the hell? But today we get to, (laughs) and I'm so excited. We reschedule during the time that we're supposed to be recording where I'm just like, I just don't think I can do it, Tori. I don't think I can talk about content strategy right now. And Tori's like, it's okay. Let's just chat. And it's just lovely every time. So, so that the question I had for Tori was, How, during these COVID times, have you kept up this fantastic hair? And Tori, what was your answer? My delightful, unbelievable, magical husband has learned how to cut (laughs) my hair and has been my colorist for several years now. And Your uh, husband? Yes. Yeah, at which point I demanded to meet him. And he is, in fact, lovely. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that's just a little visual you for those joining us on this audio only podcast. <laughs> uh, Tori, I, I was making little jokey, silly comments about your book that came out in 2019. I wonder if you could share with our listening audience a little bit about your content journey and what led you to writing that book for O'Reilly, uh, the work you're doing at Google and the impact you have seen that book have on the content design and UX writing community. Tori, take it away. I'll do all of that in two minutes. Let's see. I can do this. No, it's okay. I'll give you five to seven. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Uh, In 2009, I was a marketing communications, internal communications person at Microsoft. 
And this little book came out called Content Strategy for the Web. And luckily, that author came and did a tour. And she doesn't even remember it now. But you may have heard of her, Christina Halverson. And Well, we, okay, to the listeners, I just sprung this on Christina right yeah, before a lot, a lot of things happened before this recording and I should have hit record and I'm really sorry <laughs> that I didn't dear listener next time I will because it was a lot anyway well it really made me think about my role then and say wait this internal communication this doing PR comms doing executive comms this is not where my skill set is but it is a job or at least that job should have been five different jobs but you know that happens in content land And then when I was looking for my next thing, I talked to the UX content, or actually then it was the content development manager at Xbox. And he talked me into writing for Xbox. He says, you've been a high school teacher. You're going to be able to explain these abstract concepts to kids so that they can set up their Xboxes on Christmas morning without waking up their parents and having it be a magical experience. And I said, okay. And I worked with some fantastic people who taught me how to work on UX, who taught me how to work with content in this this really minuscule but deep corporate liability affecting way, and also brand affecting and user affecting, most importantly, way. So then I I worked on important things at Xbox and really satisfying things, fundamental things. I found out that I really like working in the super unsexy areas, right? Like what are the things that everybody has to do, but shouldn't have to notice that they're doing, shouldn't have to stress about, shouldn't have to spend a lot of time on. Um, And that took me through several roles at Microsoft. And then I started working at OfferUp, which is a startup. And then I came to Google. And between the startup and and my full-time role at Google, I took a I, I took myself to Confab. See, Christina, you're all over the story. I think that was the might have been the first Confab where we had a really live Slack presence too. And I found there was a, a Slack channel of like 40 other product content people. And we all said, let's meet up at a lunch and have lunch together. And not all 40 came to that lunch or that, that table at lunch, but they were talking about things they were like, I've got this really hard problem to solve and, and talking about this. And I'm looking around and we introduced ourselves and how long have you been doing this? And I was the person who'd been doing it for eight years at that table in, uh, in I think, 2018. And everybody else had been there for a couple of years, really had their feet under them. But I was saying, no, 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 we solved this problem in 2011. Why are we still talking about it? Oh, shit. We solved this problem. <laughs> in our product, at our company, and we didn't share. And I came, and I had already at that point been teaching UX writing at the School of Visual Concepts in Seattle with Ellie Searle. She and I developed that original class. And so I was very familiar with this, like, oh, you just don't know yet. That recognition of like, oh God, there's this whole world. There's this whole Oh shit. And I left there and my <laughs> my magical husband and a good friend of mine in UX said, "Oh, so you need to write a book." Just like that. Just like yeah. that. So the weekend I came back from Confab, I sat down and I said, "Well, what would an outline look for for this? And what would no a pitch kidding. look like?" <clears throat> and I sent that pitch to 
Rosenfeld. And three months later, I heard back saying, oh, we've already got a project in process. Oh. And I felt, right? <laughs> and the, and that you know was Annie Wilfley and Michael Metz. Writing is designing. That's right. That was, but that wasn't announced yet. But that rejection did help me then. Well, so I felt sorry for myself for a couple of weeks. And then I said, okay, I've learned from fiction writing, which I've done on the side, that the thing to do is to just get that pitch out there do it to the best market possible. And, and so I sent an over the transom email to editors at O'Reilly and heard back. Oh yep. my gosh. Wow. And <laughs> so, and so, but that was a big deal because it was a huge deal. That's the first book that said UX writing in the title, right? Well, it's the first one from a major publisher that was widely available. Okay. Henry sure, sure, sure. in, I think in Tel Aviv. Her book has is magical and and has had uh, great spread and is being translated more and more. But my book opened a bunch of doors. It's been translated into Portuguese and Italian, and new translations are coming out. I think it's okay to share. I'm pretty sure it's okay to share. O'Reilly would be really happy if I shared that it's going to come out in Korean and in Japanese. Oh, congratulations Thank to you. you. There was one other book that had come out when I published Content Strategy for the Web, and it was Anne Rockley's book focusing on enterprise content management. And she used content strategy in the title, but this was mine was the first book that really was talking about content strategy for websites and mm-hmm. the UX of websites. And that is a weird seat to sit in to be like that person who wrote that book. So, but it's exciting. And it also is so gratifying to hear you talk about how the doors that it has opened for people that kind of like helps us shift into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is that there are so many people pounding on the UX writing door right now. Not only are there so many people knocking on that door, but there are so many employers who are like, (laughs) yes, come in, come in, come in. But, but a common thing we're also hearing is that it can be really difficult for people who have writing experience, maybe it's in technical writing or marketing copywriting, to begin to make that transition into the field of UX writing. And there are some great online courses that are available. Uh, UX Content Collective is a really well-known one that offers you know, a variety of online courses Uh, for people and their own kind of certification. So you can have your certificate Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, a portfolio that comes up out of that and so on. But a concern that I am hearing from a lot of hiring managers and a lot of product managers is that they're seeing UX writing, UX writers coming out in a little bit of a vacuum where they really are focused on word choice and language and not necessarily on the actual experience part of user experience. And so a thing that I know that you've been working really hard on personally is to begin to work with higher ed institutions Mm -hmm. to develop certifications that do take into consideration the strategic thinking and the design thinking and all of that additional context that is required to be a really stellar UX writer, content designer. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, the work you've done there. I would love to. Yeah. So I, I briefly mentioned the School of Visual Concepts in Seattle. They're starting. I'm, I am just blown away by the variety of things available. Actually, let me take a step back. 
there was nothing available three years ago to, to even share knowledge in a meaningful way outside of like John Sato's post about when to use clothes versus whatever it is, save or, or right. whatever. But the content UX Slack group though had right. been started. But there were like started. 400 people in there, right? Yep. And it, that was Michael Metz and Andy, right? Or Michael right. anyway. It was Michael right. and and all of these things hadn't achieved a wide enough mass yet to really be growing and gathering people and being those nexus, nexi, for, for spreading the knowledge and making those connections. Yep. And that yep. started happening now. These classes, whether they're the online resources or the workshop intensives or these larger certificate programs, which are sometimes in, in-house, in-person, and sometimes online, are gosh, it's just wonderful that these are happening. But I would say as a, as a rule of thumb, like I have, I've my, I wouldn't say it as a rule of thumb. I would say that my gut reaction to all of these as somebody who is also reviewing portfolios and trying to make sure that people can be hired into the field is great word choices. Be, you know, use words as a, as a weapon, as a tool, (laughs) meet those goals. But if you can't also talk about the goals that you are meeting and how you are measuring that and the effect it's having on the customer and on the brand, then I got nothing. Then then I have a clever person with words, which is uh-huh. not what I can hire, right? I can't hire you to be clever with words. I can hire you to meet a business goal. And that's what that's what I hope that more and more of the education goes to. There is a wonderful um, set of UX writing challenges that came out very early and I think has been added to over time. And those are great for practicing the language, the very basics of the language, which is a necessary thing and, and is especially useful, I think, for people who are already UX writers in a native language that isn't English and who want to practice it in other languages or practice in English, how do we how do we apply this as a tool? But if you're not starting with who is the customer, what do they want? Who is what is the business trying to accomplish here? How would we measure this later on? What is the terminology we need to align with? Then then that's not really doing the design work. That's not doing mm-hmm. the UX work that you know mm-hmm. end-to-end user experience. So I'm I'm super excited. And actually, this is all top of mind because I start the very first class in the UW, um, sorry, University of Washington Foundations of UX Writing class uh, uh, on Wednesday. So tomorrow night. Um, I don't actually know when this is coming out, but yay. Uh, so excited. <laughs> well, congratulations. So this is a huge deal that mm-hmm. this foundations class is being taught and is sold out at a major university. So congratulations. And you have, and then you also developed curriculum for the School of Visual Commun- Communication Concepts in yes. Seattle. And yes. that's been going for a couple of years, right? Right. So the curriculum for, right. their, for their UX writing class has been going for several years now. Yeah. And they're developing it into an entire certificate program. So right. five quarters- right that includes so much of that UX thinking. So for writers who have, who are like, I can use words to do anything. Words are, are, are my tool of choice, but mm-hmm. how do you apply those in a UX context? That is, that brings both sides of that equation together. 
which is just marvelous. That is. And I think what you, I think saying that too helps maybe lead into this next topic that we wanted to tackle, which is the, uh, for me, it's like people are conflating UX with interface design. Yes. Right. Yes. That, mm-hmm. But a lot of people, when they're talking about UX writing, are actually thinking about like writing in Figma, right? Like <laughs> choosing the words that are going to go on the screen, which is writing for the interface and a part of UX writing, but does not pay attention to that holistic user experience and the business goals. So you and I have talked in the past about the moniker of content design mm-hmm. and content designer and UX writing and UX writer. And one of the things that I feel like has been really successful in terms of spreading awareness about the need for UX writing and content design, helping helping sort of spark understanding and recognition in a lot of product companies has been, and I am going to call it branding because let's face it, that's what we did with content strategy 12, 13 years ago is say, look, if you put content next to the word strategy, then you suddenly are like, oh, requires strategic thinking, right? You put content next to the word design. Oh, we need to be thinking about content in the design and not just as like the words we add. So I think that a thing that has worked and has been working in a lot of organizations is working to lift up content as design. I mean, that's Michael and yeah. Andy's book is called Writing is Designing for that very reason. And, and to a point, I'm, I'm grateful that that has worked and I'm grateful that it is working. And I think that Michael Metz appropriately talks about things like pay equity, like people that are yes. designing content should be paid what people who are yes. designing design and the engineers who are building the product, right? Like we should all be, that should all be considered a pay equity. Having said that, I also have been thinking a lot about, don't we need to be lifting up writing as like content, (laughs) language and information, all of which is like a brand asset and a business asset, which are all things that organizations spend a lot of money and hire really expensive people to do. So I wonder if you couldn't share some of your thoughts about that, because you and I have spoken very specifically about why are you called a UX writer at Google? Why aren't you a content designer? It's- I, I love this question. And I love not having it on Twitter with like a call out tweet at six in the morning, Christina, I'm just saying. And I'm, I guarantee if you go to the show notes, Rob Mills will have pulled that tweet <laughs> to share with all of you so that you can see what Tori is talking about. Anyway, go ahead. Here's the thing. One thing I really, really appreciate at Google in our in our UX practice, which is extremely diverse across Google, every team does everything it does at Google slightly differently, with with very little shared requirements, and then we share best practices like crazy in a million Google Docs. That that's just part of the culture. But one of the things we do is in UX, you are a UXer. And that means you are responsible for, you are a steward of the user experience, regardless of the specialty you bring to it, whether you're an interaction designer or a visual designer or a content designer or, I don't know, motion designer, sound designer. 
you are bringing, you are a UXer first. And, uh, and so it's really common shorthand for us to have, oh, there's UXD, UXR, UXW. And so it delineates our roles and it says, wait, these are different ways to solve these, these end-to-end UX problems, right? Or these UX opportunities, these different ways to pursue them. When we're in places like product that have product designers, then having content designer, like you were saying, like let's elevate content in the conversation. They're not just there to write words into the UI in Figma. They're there to think about how is the language affecting this experience and changing the interaction design and, and what is the overall information architecture and all of those questions that are deep content strategy problems. And so I don't, I mean, honestly, while my title currently is UX writer, and I actually, sometimes when I'm introducing myself, even internally to people I work with, I say, oh, I'm the UX content strategist for my team, because I do very little of the words inside the UI right now, because I've got some very difficult fish to fry who are not yet in the pan (laughs) that I need to that I need to put there, right? And that's more of that content strategy piece. So I, I don't wanna attach us as a discipline to just like make it sound like design because people know design is sexy. And I, I get really worried about that, right? I want people to, to know, um, hey, it's actually also content engineering. It's also um, interaction design that we solve with words. It's also, I mean, it's, it's not, it is just a different beast. And frankly, I love that I am not in charge of caring about whether something gets a hairline outline with an elevation on the page in a, you know, adhering to a columnar guideline. Like I am terrible at visual design. I am terrible. I've gotten better at like should that be a radio button or a checkbox? Oh God, who knows? <laughs> but in terms of the content, parts of that and the content strategy, I understand those principles. I'm good at them. And I love being on a team where I not only am valued for that, but they say, the, the, so I was the first one on my team. I'm now building a team. I work inside the, the Google support products space in inside Google. So when you go to Google for help, I'm not writing the help content, but I'm helping write the help center that gets you your help content huh. and that, that our content authors can use to write that help content. And I'm their first one on there. So I'm the one saying like, hey, shouldn't our tools make it easier to make high quality content than low quality content? And that's the level of strategy that I get to work at now because of the demonstrated value over time of having content have a seat at the table. So let's talk briefly about what you just said. (laughs) Demonstrated value. Yeah. Key operating descriptor being demonstrated. Yes. So there is conversation right now about burnout 
in the content design UX writing community because people are so tired of advocating for themselves. And there are a lot of people that like to talk about how tired they are. And, and uh, you know, Candy Williams said on Twitter recently and quite aptly that sometimes people need to have a rant and they need to get support. But a thing that we keep coming back to, folks like you who are established presences in large organizations, and like you said, are valued for the work that you do, for the strategic work that you do, you got there because you demonstrated value. How did you do that? Because I bet it was not a PowerPoint that showed, sorry, a Google slide deck (laughs) that showed people the value. I mean, that showed people the definition of UX writing and explained what it was. I tell you what, I I don't want to dismiss the value of those decks. I do. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) I have used a zillion of those and they are, but their purpose has been very, very limited where I thought they would be much more useful, but they've had two really good discrete purposes that are very small. One of them has been to onboard a, onboard you know, small groups of new people saying, here's what I do, come to me for these things. Here's my engagement model and what you can depend on me for. Nice to meet you. Let's have a little meet and greet. You haven't worked with one of me before. Let's, Let's go forward. That's extremely valuable for those decks. The other thing that's been valuable is just making sure like, am I bananas or do I really have a job that's of value? Let me check it out with other content folks to be like, I think I wrote down what I do. Can somebody tell me if this is even a job? And so, and that kind of validation is why we need community like the content UX Slack group, like going to Button and going to Confab. And we need the community to help lift our spirits and to tell us, even in the face of all of these doors we've knocked on that we haven't been even allowed in, that yes, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, it's also the practice of knocking on all those doors and saying, hey, if you don't let me in this room, here's the thing that's going to happen. I would be happy to help with these things. Okay, I understand it's too late. Here's this failure point you can look to see in five months. And then that failure point happens in five months and somebody sheepishly comes and says, Hey, I seem to recall that you predicted this. Did you really have a way for us to get around it? And I say, oh, you sweet thing, you remember. <laughs> right? Because that now doesn't that happen. That is easy. interesting. Because so many people focus on what is the business value? How much money did you save? How many people did you onboard? And you are talking about tell them what's going to go wrong and then sit back and watch it happen. Yes. I mean, I've also done the other things, right? But like we talked about uh, a little bit ago, I like working on the fundamental problems. Like I've worked on sign-in and settings and privacy disclosures and opt-ins and like things everybody has to see that has to go right or the company is going to lose millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits. This has to go right. And I say, okay, yes, we're going to make sign-in take, on average, four seconds longer. Yep. And we know that every second counts. Is this spend going to be worthwhile? How can we balance that and move that forward? But it's by practicing having those conversations. 
that I've gotten good at them, right? Like that's how I got to teach a class, which made me even better at talking about them. And then write a book about it, which made me even better about talking about it. Although sometimes, uh, full disclosure, I will be like, I have said this somehow before, and I will go back <laughs> to my book, and, <laughs> and I will look it up and say, oh, yeah, good job, Pastor. Yeah, wait until it's been 10 years. People are like, I just that part of your book where you said blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yes, yes. I have I no remember. idea. I have no idea. Yeah. There's practicing and failing, mostly, right? Like, I did not get to make the impact I wanted to make on most of the products I've worked on. I got to make some impact. And that's as much as any of us can do, really. But then also, I've, as I got even a little bit more mature in my career, I got a lot smarter about choosing what I work on and saying, is this the right place for me to be investing my meanness right now? Right. And I mean, it's only been in the last couple of years that I've had a lot of freedom with that. Like my name's on the book. I can, I get a lot more job offers now, or at least a lot more job interest. But what I started to do was say, hey, you know what? I'm doing this and it's, I'm good at this, but I'm not as interested as I used to be. Or it's shifting in such a way that I can't do that thing. And that's where I want more people with three or more years in to be really looking at, are you still doing a thing you love and going to a place like career mobility, like moving around job to job is the fastest way to make more money and to have to practice talking about what you do and the value you bring, right? That's a great time to build up that portfolio and include on every slide or every you know screen that you share Here's why I did this. Here's why it made a difference. And if you're looking at your current work saying, I can't justify doing this work, right? Or I'm working on the last strings on 20 different products simultaneously. That's, that's a good place to be saying, how am I going to shape this into a portfolio in a year or in two years and start to work with your current management to say, how do we focus this to be more impactful? Because everybody, and this was a key part of, of the movement you led in content strategy was, if it's not impactful, stop doing it. Good God, get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, and that I think is, we are just about out of time, but I think that that is the thing to end on. Like, if you are want to start in UX writing and you have built a portfolio with a you know boot camp or whatever, and you look at it and it's all clever writing, and it's all word choice and language, take several steps back and think about how can you form a problem statement when you, and yes. how can you document that? And how can you write about outcomes and potential failures? Um, if you are in a current job where you are feeling undervalued and you're tired of trying to demonstrate value and you don't know why you're, you know, you're, you're supporting 14 different product teams, you don't feel like you're bringing value, right? As you build that portfolio, think about, how are you demonstrating actual meaningful value to potential employers? Yeah. Which, by the way, Tori, do you mm -hmm. know anyone who's hiring in the new future? OMG, future? there's so many hiring. Also, Google. <laughs> Come work for Google. It's great. That's right. <laughs> but so many are hiring. And LinkedIn is telling me about them all the time. And I'm all like, 
my hands are full and I have literally a dream job for me right now. So right. I, so hi, recruiters, please don't send me your ping right now. Um, but, <laughs> but really there's so many good jobs. Now is a good time. Yep. It that's is a right. really good time. And that it is not about complaining. It is not about the whining, like definitely get support, tell people you're struggling and let them help you. Absolutely. Mostly right. tell your content people your <laughs> or like your yes. one manager. Don't tell all of LinkedIn. Don't tell yeah. all of Twitter. It's not, Let's pull it's not back about, on the complaining. It's that's right. Yeah, you don't want to because there's so few of us, and those of us who are noisy are noisy. It's really important to not paint the picture that content is full of whiners and you know never will be satisfied with anything. Right. Instead, right, we need to take care of each other. And, and boost each other up. I read this great book called Professional Troublemaker by Lovey Jones. Go read it. Go make professional trouble. And that starts with lifting yourself up with what you can do and who you are in the world. Tori, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a delight and a joy. I do want to mention for our listeners that uh, Confab is coming confab the content strategy conference and you can register for that we have raised that a number of times during this conversation at confabevents.com tori will you be joining us for confab i am still working out internal permissions um <laughs> i'm not covid i know i know it's it is but i i have raised it for all of the internal permissions that i possibly can well, including my husband who doesn't want me to go to Minneapolis right now. Well, um, no, don't come right now. Nobody should go anywhere right now. But May, May. are going to be different. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com. And you can learn more about brain traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.